Good morning. So yeah, I'm Josh. Um, I'm married to Ellie, and I've been coming to Barnabas for the past 18 years or so. You might have seen me over there with my guitar leading worship. To be honest, being up here without it is pretty scary. I think I'd rather be there. But um, I asked Terry, and he said there was no way I could bring it up to do the talk, which is a shame. You'll also be glad to know this isn't a job swap, so thankfully Terry's not going to be leading worship next week, which (laughs) is a good thing. He's on holiday this morning, so he's not here to defend himself, so that's good. Um, As Martin said, we're in the middle of a series on the I Am statements of Jesus. Today we actually have not one, but two of these to look at. I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. But I promise that doesn't mean it's going to be twice as long. As some of you may know, I live and work on a sheep farm, so I guess that makes me a shepherd. Though I do have to say that despite what all good nativity plays say, I don't really go around with a tea towel on my head. And as you'll see later on, this is just one of the many differences between my job as a shepherd and the shepherd we're going to hear about this morning. I'd like to begin this morning with opening the Bible to John 10, verses 1 to 18. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So the context to this passage is that Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind. When the Pharisees see this man who was used to be blind, they they confront him and ask him what's happened. When he says that Jesus has healed him, they throw him out of the temple. On hearing this, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and he describes them as spiritually blind. In the passage we've just read, Jesus is addressing these same Jewish religious leaders whose job it was, that, who, who believed that they could earn the right to salvation by works and religious duty, which was causing people to stumble and fall. Jesus describes them as thieves and robbers who've come to steal and kill and destroy, but that he is the way for people to have life and have it to the full. A shepherd in the days of Jesus would have been a full-time role. They literally lived with the sheep. They were responsible for providing them with fresh food and water. They had to protect them from wild animals. I do have to say, this is a little bit different to my role as a shepherd. You don't get many lions in Shropshire. But 
whilst preparing for this talk, I found it really interesting to find out exactly how the shepherds in Israel cared for their sheep. So basically, during the day, the shepherd would be with their sheep, caring for them and leading them. When night came, they would lead the sheep into an enclosure. In this enclosure, there would have been loads of sheep owned by multiple shepherds. The sheep would be left in the pen overnight under the care or the watch of a hired shepherd. Thieves and robbers would try to climb over the walls of the pen to steal or kill the sheep. The shepherd would then return in the morning and call his sheep out of the pen. The sheep would recognize the call of their own shepherd and follow him out. It's helpful for us to have this in our minds when we're considering what Jesus is saying to us in this passage, especially as the people hearing this at the time would have been really familiar with this kind of shepherding. The term shepherd, though, would have meant more to this Jewish audience than just someone who looked after sheep. The people who Jesus is talking to, these religious leaders, were also known as shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel prophesies about the shepherds of that time, saying that they're only caring for themselves and are not looking after the flock. When we consider other biblical shepherds, King David immediately comes to mind, the son of a shepherd who becomes a shepherd too, and later becoming God's anointed shepherd king. The imagery at the beginning of this passage is quite complex. It describes how Jesus is both the gate for the sheep and the shepherd of the sheep who enters through the gate. My hope for us today is that we can better come to know these two truths in our own lives. There are three things which I'd like to look at this morning. The first of these is this. What does it mean for us if Jesus is the gate for the sheep? What does this gate lead to? And how is that going to change our lives? Secondly, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who knows us and is inviting us to know him. What does that, really, what does that mean for us? What is that relationship going to look like? And finally, what does it mean for us if we are the sheep? What dangers do we face? And ultimately, who are we following? So let's begin with Jesus is the gate for the sheep. Verse 9 says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Here, Jesus is describing himself as the gate for the sheep, or the way in which people can enter into a relationship with God. When sin came into the world, we were separated from him. All of us sin, and no one is perfect. But the Father had a plan. He sent Jesus, his only son, who lived a perfect life to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has made a way for us to have relationship with him. And all we have to do is to choose to accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. And he's made a way for us to have eternal life with him. I'd just like us to pause for a moment to consider what this really means for us. Whether you've heard that a hundred times before or for the first time this morning, these are incredible claims that are worth reflecting on. So, as a shepherd, I have lots of experience with moving sheep from field to field. And sheep can be really stubborn when it comes to going through a small gateway. They don't like to be forced to go through, and they'll run in any direction. But one thing that will guarantee they will always go through if they know I've got food for them on the other side. In a similar way, we have a choice to make. It's free will. Are we going to enter through the gate? But if we do, what's waiting for us on the other side? Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. David writes this out of a place of having been a shepherd who cared for his sheep. He understood that the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep was crucial for the sheep's survival. Once entering through the gate, the sheep can expect to be provided for and protected. Now, this isn't to say that 
Once we enter into a relationship with God, that life is suddenly going to become perfect. We're still going to face difficulties and trials, but we have a security in the knowledge that God is sovereign. And we have a hope of a future with Jesus. It's in these times of struggle that we can turn to the Good Shepherd for comfort and for support. In verse 12, we read about the hired hand. It says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Here, Jesus is describing the religious leaders whose job it was was to care for the flock. He describes how they neglect them, and when danger comes its way, they abandon them with only care for themselves. Why do they abandon them? It's because they're a hired hand and they don't own them. We all know that when we own something, we care more about it. To own something, we've had to pay a price, whether that's our time or our money. It's a cost to ourselves, and because of that, we're invested into whatever we've paid for. Here lies the huge difference between the religious leaders, whose job it was was to care for the flock, and Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. The religious leaders had not given anything of themselves, but Christ has given his life. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. We've been bought with his blood. This means that we're not our own, but we're owned by Christ. When we buy sheep on the farm, we put an orange mark on the back of their neck, and this identifies them as our sheep. It means that when they escape, all the neighboring farms will know that we own the sheep. And, and this works pretty well. But the only problem is that the orange spray paint, it wears off over time. So for this reason, many farmers will cut a distinctive notch or a mark into the sheep's ear to identify them as their sheep. Now, this obviously will cause the sheep some sort of short-term pain, but it's a permanent mark of ownership. In this example, we see that in being bought, there is a cost to both the shepherd and the sheep. But out of this mutual cost comes permanent ownership. As Christians, Jesus says we're called to take up our cross daily. He's, put, he's calling us to put to death our old way of living and give our lives wholly to him. In doing this, we'll stand out in the crowd with the mark of Christ showing who we belong to. There is a cost to us, but also an incredible freedom that comes from surrendering everything to Jesus. So if we're going to surrender everything, Let's now look at what Jesus is like as the good shepherd. Verses 14 and 15 say, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. So as I've already said, I'm a shepherd. And along with my family, we have around 450 ewes on the farm. When my wife Ellie first came to visit the farm, she was amazed that my dad and I would regularly describe and pick out a specific sheep, with no doubt that the other would know exactly which one we were talking about. Ellie would say, how do you know which one's which? They all look the same. If you take a quick look at this picture, you'll see they clearly don't all look the same. I, I don't know what she's saying. So you might be wondering where I'm going with this. Maybe it's just that I love to talk about sheep, and this is becoming quite evident, I imagine. But the reason I can describe and pick out an individual sheep is because I've spent a lot of time with them. I remember the things they've done, the times they've escaped, the lambs they've given birth to. I know them. How much more so, then, does the ultimate good shepherd, Jesus Christ, know his sheep? Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his will and pleasure. 
Before the creation of the world, God knew us. And more than that, he's chosen us. Chosen us to be adopted as his children and to have relationship with him through Jesus. Jesus is inviting us into the most intimate and safe relationship. In verse 3 of John 10, Jesus, it says that Jesus calls the sheep by name. I believe the significance of this being called by name, it can be somewhat lost on us as the 21st century reader, especially with technology and social media. It's so easy to know someone's name without truly knowing anything about them. Another example of this is how easy it is to change a name. But for the people hearing this at Jesus' time, a name would have been so much more significant. A person's identity was wrapped up in their name. Their social and economic standing was linked to their name. When we think about the nation of Israel, it was founded on the covenant with Abraham. This began with the promise of a name. The Bible's full of examples of how important names were. We see God in the Old Testament, often called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Chronicles, we read long, long lists of names. Now, these can be pretty tough to get through when you're doing your Bible in a year plan, but what they do is they highlight the high value that the Bible puts on names. Another example of this is in Matthew 1. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus. This again showing the emphasis and the importance that names had. In calling us by name, Jesus is inviting us into a personal relationship with him. He knows all of us. We can never be too far from him. Sometimes we might think that the things we've done and past experiences can affect how God looks at us, but it's just not true. In Luke 15, Jesus tells this story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. He describes how the shepherd will leave the 99 in the search for the one who is far off. How incredible is that? We can never be too far from him. Not only does Jesus know us, but he wants us to know him, to know his heart and to live our lives in his all-consuming, empowering love. So my question for us today, how can we better know Jesus in our lives? This isn't a head knowledge, but we're being invited into a relationship. Successful relationships, they take time and they take effort. But when they're rooted and based in love, that effort, it just doesn't matter anymore. Relationships rely on conversation. Conversation which is two-way. When we pray, are we making requests to a personless God? Or are we asking with expectancy that God will hear and answer because we have relationship with him? Now, don't hear me wrong. This isn't to say that whatever we ask for in prayer will always happen. In his book, God on Mute, Pete Gregg writes this. Some prayers aren't answered because God himself is a greater answer than the thing we are asking for. And he wants to use our sense of need to draw us into a deeper relationship with himself. God's interested in us. He wants to deepen our relationship with him. And sometimes it's out of these times of suffering and these painful times that we really come to know what it means to depend on the good shepherd in our lives. So Jesus as the good shepherd is interested in us. He cares for us. And he's paid the price for us in laying down his life. Jesus wants the best for us. And that best comes from knowing him. So if we're going to be his sheep, what sort of sheep are we going to be? Before answering this question, I thought it was important to grasp exactly what the definition of a sheep was. As a shepherd, you'd hope I knew what that was, but I thought it never hurts to get a second opinion. So I did what I always do when I don't know the answer to something. Ask Google, obviously. Um, 
The first part of the answer was no surprise to me. Pretty familiar with this. A woolly ruminant mammal. But I did think this second part was maybe just a little bit harsh. Google described a sheep as a timid, defenseless simpleton who is readily preyed upon. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but apparently that's us. <laughs> Let's move quickly on um, to what I believe Jesus is actually saying when he calls us to be a sheep. We've already briefly looked at what it means to follow the Good Shepherd. So I want to now look at what it looks like within our church and within our communities. When they're on their own, sheep can seem quite weak and unimpressive. But that's because they're designed to live within the flock. This flock provides safety and security. We as God's sheep are also designed to live within a community, which builds us up and has our backs. Let's take a look at this next picture. So when sheep are in a field, they often follow each other around, creating sheep tracks like these. These tracks are often well-worn, and it's where the sheep prefers to walk, because it feels safe, and it feels like it can follow the crowd. Now, when I considered this in terms of us being sheep of the Good Shepherd, God put this question on my heart. Who are you following? Who are we following? I believe that just as the Jewish leaders of Jesus' time were leading people astray with religious rules which aimed to entrap them, we can also get sucked into believing that we can earn our way into heaven. We come to church on a Sunday. We might meet during the week. And these are great things. These are true blessings to have. But what's our heart like in these situations? Are we coming because that's what we've always done out of tradition? Or are we wanting to be part of a community who build us up and are not afraid to challenge us? Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We see this model of discipleship throughout the New Testament. Paul's letters are a great example of this. He writes openly and directly, both encouraging and challenging the people he's writing to. We see people doing life together in a dynamic way, not afraid to step out into new things, instead of staying in the safety of the well-worn path. Let's be sheep who enjoy all of the amazing things that being in the flock gives us. Friendship, teaching, a safe and supportive community, to name just a few. Out of this place of security, let's step into new things. Let's be risk-takers for the kingdom. Jesus says that he's come to give us life to the full. Let's live in that truth. In today's world and our Western culture, it can be so easy to, follow, to start following other things, whether that's relationships, our career, our image. This list can be a really long one. This is the society tells us that these are the things that define who we are and how successful we can be. As a result of this, we chase after these things, giving them all of our time and our attention. Ultimately, these things begin to be our primary motivation and the thing that we really follow. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any one of these things, but it's the importance we put on them which can result in us living with a skewed view of what is really important. The truth of the matter is that none of these things will bring us lasting happiness or contentment. There's only one thing that will guarantee to bring us these things, and it's Jesus. Let's follow the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Following the Good Shepherd is the only way for us to have steadfast joy. We're sons and daughters of the Father, co-heirs with Christ and sheep of the Good Shepherd. 
knowing that our identity is secure in who Jesus says we are, will radically change our perspective on what we want life to look like. I actually wonder if the band could come back up now. Um, As we're bringing things to a close this morning, I'd just like to make a few points of application. I wonder if for the first, we could very briefly close our eyes. I promise I'm not going to do anything weird or run away. But it just helps to remove any distractions for us. So let's close our eyes. We've heard this morning about a Savior who died for us. That Jesus has made a way for us to have relationship with him. And that all we have to do is accept that he died on the cross for our sins. I wonder if there are people here this morning. You're not sure that you have relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not sure if you've been forgiven. Or that you've ever really made a commitment. Ultimately, you aren't sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. If any of these statements resonate with you, I would really like to encourage you to come and receive prayer at the end of the meeting. There'll be a prayer team on my left, your right, here at the front, who would love to pray with you. Let's open our eyes. My second point is for those of us who've been a Christian for a while. I really want to encourage you to firstly reconsider the incredible truth that Jesus is the gateway for our salvation. What he did on the cross was the ultimate show of love. I humbly believe that when we look to the cross and we see how undeserving we are, and yet we've been given such amazing grace, we fall deeper in love with Jesus. And out of that comes our desire to know the Good Shepherd. Let's be intentional. Let's invest in getting to know our Savior. Not out of religious duty, but out of love. Out of love for what he has done for us. We heard this morning about digging deeper. Roots going down. Let's really dig into that. Let's consider that for our own lives now. Finally, my challenge for us today is to check where our priorities lie. What do we have as our number one priority? The thing that we put at the top of this list, it defines how we live our life, and it's the thing that we follow, ultimately what we worship. Jesus is calling us to follow his leading. This is an exciting adventure. My prayer for us today is that we can go out from here knowing that we have an invite into a personal relationship with our Savior, and that following him, it's not always going to be easy, it's not always going to be straightforward but it's going to be an amazing journey. As a response to what we've heard this morning, I'd love if we could sing one final song. Let's worship our Savior, the Good Shepherd, now. Esther, over to you.